Welcome back to It's Not Normal, episode five. Today, we're going to be talking about a post that I saw on the Raised by Narcissists subreddit. And lately, the posts that I've been seeing on that subreddit feel targeted towards me because I haven't related to posts on that subreddit nearly as much as the ones that I've been seeing lately. And so the other day, I came across a post and the person was asking, how do you reconcile the fact that your parents sabotaged so many of your experiences growing up? And this immediately resonated with me because I have felt ever since moving out of my parents' house, a deep sense of loss and regret for a lot of my earlier years, mainly my teenage years. When I think back to probably the time I was born to 10 or 11 years old, I don't remember too much feeling like I was missing out on things. Um, because I don't really feel like that's the peak of your social development. Um, I think it comes a little bit later in your early teens. And so I feel like for me, ages 14 to 19 or 20 is really kind of where I feel that sense of loss in terms of experiences that I just didn't get to have. And so I was really interested to read this post. And I posted a TikTok about it, and it's gotten a ton of comments and, and engagement. And so this is clearly something that resonates not only with me, but with a lot of you. And so I kind of wanted to just dive into it a little bit deeper. So the first way that I think my parents kind of sabotaged experiences for me growing up, and this was similar to what the original person who posted this on Reddit said, was they isolated me from kids my age. And the first way that I think my parents did this, whether or not they knew that they were doing this, my parents shaped the opinions of my peers for me. And the first story that kind of comes to mind was when I was in, I think, seventh grade and a girl that I played softball with invited me over to her house to go swimming. And I was excited and I told my parents that I was invited and I asked them if I could go and they just came back at me with, oh, no, you don't you don't want to hang out with with those kids. They're not good kids. You don't you don't want to be around them. And up until that point and even far after that, I never questioned my parents intentions. I always trusted them and I believed that they had my best interest in mind. And so if they were telling me that these weren't good kids, that I didn't want to be hanging around them, then I trusted them and I kind of took on their opinion as my own. Maybe they knew something that I didn't know. You know, they're adults, they're my parents, and so I, I trust what they're saying. Okay, mom and dad, I don't want to hang out with them, I won't go. And so if I ever did get invited to something like that again, there were times when I wouldn't even bring it up to my parents because I knew what their answer would be, and again, I trusted them. And even in school settings, when I would see these people, I would kind of keep my distance a little bit more just because I guess I knew that our relationship wasn't going to go any farther than school. And so that was kind of the first way that I think my parents isolated me from kids my age. It was also difficult because my parents were always around. And I think that parental involvement in kids' lives, to a certain extent, can be a really good thing. But I think the line needs to be drawn somewhere so that kids are given an opportunity to just be themselves without feeling like they're constantly watched. And for me, 
I mean, my mom was the PTA president. My dad was the coach of the softball team. They chaperoned every single field trip. They volunteered for the book fair. My dad DJed every single school dance. And so there are small experiences like wanting to dance with my friends. Or I remember at my eighth grade dance, a boy came up to me and asked me to dance. And I straight up said no, because both of my parents were there. My dad was DJing. And I knew that they wouldn't be happy if they saw me doing that. And if I did say yes and danced anyway, then I would get interrogated about it when I went home. And so it just wasn't worth it for me. Another way I think my parents isolated me from my peers. Again, I don't even know if they did this knowingly or but I went home for lunch every year in elementary school and I was the only kid who didn't stay in school for lunch. And in the moment, I thought that this was a cool thing because, you know, I got to come home and watch The Price is Right and, like, eat whatever food I wanted, I guess. And so in the moment, I was pretty happy about it. But I didn't realize until long afterwards that lunchtime and recess was really the only time where I would have been able to kind of bond with kids in a non-classroom setting It's where I think a lot of kids just kind of like had fun and socialized and got to chat without a lot of supervision like you had in a classroom. And so that's something that I missed out on for the entirety of my elementary school years. And I I have no doubt that that impacted the the depth of my relationships with with kids my age in school uh, because we just didn't have that. Not to mention I wasn't really able to develop these relationships with kids in school because of things like that. And I definitely wasn't able to develop these relationships with kids outside of school. And that kind of brings me to the next way that my parents would isolate me. They wouldn't allow me to really hang out with kids outside of school. I was never allowed to just go to the park with the other kids. And one time I remember I was invited to a sleepover and it was the first and only sleepover that I was invited to that wasn't family. And so I was really excited. It was with a girl who lived literally a couple blocks away and I had invited her to my birthday party that year and she was having a sleepover for her birthday party. And so I was excited to go. And so I show up and we're hanging out. We're watching TV, probably like singing songs, playing with her pets And we were just about to put on like a little fashion show for each other, just get dressed up and do like a little runway walk kind of thing. And my mom came to pick me up and I wasn't allowed to stay over. Now, what's interesting about this is that if I were to bring this up to my parents, they would say that I didn't want to stay. And what I find so interesting about that is at that point in time, probably sixth or seventh grade, I think maybe sixth grade at that point, I had already started to take on those people-pleasing tendencies. If I knew that my parents were hesitant about me staying over or didn't want me to sleep over, if it was a source of tension or controversy, and they said, listen, like, we're going to come and pick you up, not only would I not push back and say, like, hey, I'm the only one that's not staying. Like, why can't I just sleep over? I would make it a complete non-issue. And I would almost, almost to the point where I would share their opinions Similarly with my peers, where if they thought that it was the right thing for me to come home and to not stay over, then I'd be like, yeah, like I kind of want to come home. Like I would make it no big deal at all because I wanted them to think that we were on the same page and I wanted them to be happy with my decisions and with my way of thinking. 
And the way of doing that, I learned over time, was just to think the way that they wanted me to think. And so they would tell you that I didn't want to stay. And another thing is that maybe I was a little nervous. You know, if this was my first sleepover with just friends, I think it's completely normal to be a little nervous. But the issue comes in, especially with controlling parents, when they foster that sense of dependency. I think it's really important when your kid is growing up and if they're going to go out and do something socially for the first time, like maybe have a sleepover with friends, to encourage them and to reassure them and to say, hey, listen, you're just a couple blocks away. Everything is going to be okay. And if you get uncomfortable at any point and if you want to give me a call or if you do want me to pick you up, that's completely fine. But just know that you're going to be okay. And if you ever need anything, like I'm going to be right here. I think encouraging a bit of socialization and independence at a young age is so crucial to social and personal development. And I think that is something that controlling and narcissistic parents do not do. They want to be in control as much as possible. They want to know where you are, what you're doing at all times. And not only does that show that they don't trust you and they don't trust your judgment or the decisions that you make, but it doesn't really allow you to be yourself or, or to see how you react in certain situations on your own without anyone else's influence or, or bias or feeling like someone's watching you make a decision. It, it doesn't allow you to just kind of make mistakes on your own or to try something without the fear of someone watching you or judging you. And so that's really difficult. I think part of the reason that controlling parents always want to know what's going on and where you are and what you're doing is because they're scared of their kids encountering things like alcohol, like drugs, like sex, these things that are dangerous to them. But the truth of the matter is your kid at one point or another is going to be exposed to these things because they exist. And if your kid is out in the world at all, there's a chance that they might run into these things. And in my opinion, the true danger comes when they pretend, when, when parents pretend like these things just don't exist. They don't educate their kids about these topics at all. There's no open and honest and non-judgmental communication between the parent and the kid. So if the kid does encounter these things and they're feeling uncomfortable or they don't know how to feel about it, or maybe they even want to try it, they're going to get their education either from the internet or from other kids their age, who, let's be honest, probably don't know much more than the kid does themselves. And so that's not helping anybody. I think controlling parents, one of the biggest mistakes that they make is just pretending like these things don't exist and doing their best to prevent their kid from ever even having the possibility of encountering these things. It's going to happen. And it's so much more beneficial to everyone involved if your kid feels comfortable enough to talk to you about these things. And it's important when your kid is growing up to show that you trust them to be in a different situation. Maybe it is a bit of a sticky situation and you show up to a party and there's alcohol there or there's drugs there. You want to be able to trust them enough to know that they're going to make the right decision. And even if they want to try something for the first time 
they'll feel comfortable enough to come to you and to talk to you about it. What was it? What did they do? How did they feel? And then you can kind of educate them and have this open conversation, this open dialogue to talk about the risks and, and what to do and what not to do. And God forbid they ever get into a really bad situation. You want your kid to feel comfortable enough calling you, reaching out to you and saying, hey, listen, this is what's going on. This is what I did. And I really need your help. I've heard the saying a lot that controlling parents raise the best liars. And it couldn't be more true. Coming from someone who grew up with controlling parents, I can tell you that there is so much about my life that my parents do not know and will probably never know. Things that I've done, places that I've gone. And it can be really difficult to grow up and to try to figure all of these things out on your own, all while also keeping them hidden from your parents because you know if they find out, you're going to get in trouble for them. And it's not anything outrageous. It's not anything that a normal teenager wouldn't do or be curious about. And yet it's so much of a problem that you, you have to pretend like you're not doing it or that you're not even interested in it. And that was the case for me a lot of the time. If I knew how my parents felt about a particular thing, I wouldn't even bring it up half the time because I knew what the answer was going to be and it just wasn't worth the argument. And this can be really sad to kind of look back on because you start to realize all of the things that you almost voluntarily missed out on. But there are other times when when it's completely your parents just kind of like hindering your social development. And it makes me think of when I was in high school. I developed my first real group of friends that I actually hung out with outside of school when I was in high school. And we were all invited to a sweet 16. Now, my friend group and I, we were all honors kids, and so we were in high-level classes, and just due to the nature of our classes, we were a bit isolated. And we did our best to kind of socialize with everyone. We were friendly with a lot of people, but we saw most of the same faces in most of our classes throughout the day. And so I thought that this was a great opportunity for all of us to kind of socialize with kids outside of our main social circle. And again, being the academic kids that we were, it was kind of rare for the entire group of us to get invited to something like a Sweet 16. And so this was the first and only Sweet 16 that I was invited to. And I remember telling my parents about it. And coincidentally, that same weekend, my dad had planned a weekend trip for all of us, for the family. And so that was a little bit of a hiccup. But our plan was to come home from this weekend trip on Sunday morning and the Sweet 16 wasn't until Sunday night. And so I was like, okay, this still shouldn't be an issue. So I brought it up to them and my dad's response was, I don't want to feel rushed. I don't want to feel like I have to be at home at a certain time and come home from this trip at a certain time. So you better say no. Me having no backbone at the time or, or feeling like I couldn't stand up to my parents just said, okay. And I remember seeing my friends' photos from that night, and it looked like they had so much fun. And I felt really upset that I wasn't involved, that I didn't get to go. And when you get older, I didn't realize how sheltered I was and how controlling my parents were until I was in my early 20s. And when you start to realize how many people your age had such different experiences than you growing up, it's really eye-opening and that, for me, is when that sense of, of loss and almost grief for this childhood or these teen years that we never got to have really starts to kick in. 
because you learn about how people your age didn't get any flack from their parents for going to a sweet 16 that not only did they go to one but they got invited and went to a handful of them or that they went to a couple different parties or that they were able to talk to their parents the first time that they ever had a sip of alcohol and they had kind of like this open and honest relationship with their parents and you start to realize how many things you missed out on one because your parents didn't allow you to and two because if you knew how your parents felt about them and you were just going to kind of face an argument just to be told no at the end of it things that maybe you just voluntarily bowed out of because it just wasn't worth it for you and it's kind of like a double whammy because you realize how maybe different your life could have been. You know, maybe I would have had a bit more of a, a bigger social circle or I would have developed friendships with other people that I never really got to outside of school if I had the opportunity to go to these places or to do these things. Maybe certain things wouldn't have been so difficult for me as I kind of moved into adulthood because I had already experienced them or gotten a taste of them when I was younger. And it also makes you feel a bit isolated as an adult because now when your peers are talking about what their high school experience was like, what their teenage years were like, you can't always relate to those same experiences because you didn't have them. And so it's like you're kind of reliving that isolation all over again. But now there's this added layer of complexity to it because that time has come and gone. And that has something that's always been really difficult for me to reconcile. Anytime I have an issue with something and there's nothing that I can do to kind of proactively change it or make it better, that is when I feel like I struggle the most. I'll never be 16 again. I'll never be invited to a sweet 16 and I don't ever want to be at this point. It's even if I were to get to experience some of these things now, it's completely different. And so that's what's really difficult for me is just kind of accepting the fact that I will never be in that time in my life again with those people again, with the opportunity to experience those things again. And so I think that's where the whole idea of kind of mourning for this time in your life comes in and that feeling of grief because you just have to accept the fact that it didn't happen and it never will. And that's something that took me a really long time. And there are still times when I feel upset about it if I kind of dwell on it for too long because at the end of the day, it is a sad thing. You always kind of find yourself asking like what would have been or what could I have done differently? What would my life be like in these different ways if I got to experience a lot of these things? So that begs the question, how do you reconcile your parents sabotaging so many of these experiences for you? And I've been able to do it in a few ways, I guess. The first is by understanding and kind of being really real with myself that my teenage years, let's say 14 to 19, in the big picture of life, this is a relatively small chunk of time. And it's not as big of a deal as I thought it was in the moment or even as big of a deal as I think it is maybe right now. It's... I'm going to do so many more things in my life. And the more distance that I get from that time, I believe the easier that it's going to get. And I'm also a pretty firm believer in, you know, everything that's meant to happen will happen. Things will come to you when you're ready. And so I understand that my life and, and me getting to the point that I'm at right now was a result of a million different decisions that I made. 
And I'm happy with where I'm at right now. I love the life that I'm living right now. And maybe if I had gone to a party or if I had made a decision differently, that would have changed my experience and kind of altered the trajectory of my life. And maybe I wouldn't be sitting right here doing this right now. And so that has probably been able to give me the biggest peace of mind in terms of reconciling all of this is just reminding myself that any small thing that could have gone differently could have changed the course of my life. And if I'm happy with my life right now, then I have to be happy about the way that everything went. The other way that I've kind of been able to deal with this and, and I guess do something proactive about it now is to seize every opportunity that I want to now. For so much of my life, I didn't even fight to do things that I wanted to do because it wasn't worth the controversy or the tension that it would cause. And now that I'm in an environment where I solely am in control of the decisions that I make, I try to do as many things as I want to do when I want to do them because I don't have to ask anyone for permission. Me wanting to do something is justification enough and I know that regardless of where I'm going or what I'm doing or what time I get home, I'm not going to get yelled at. I'm not going to get punished. This isn't going to be something that's held over my head and I'm not going to get the silent treatment for a few days afterwards. And so I constantly remind myself that I am an individual. I'm my own person. I have full autonomy over my life and my decisions. And if there's something that I want to do, I can do it. Nothing is stopping me. And sometimes even if I want to take that extra step and maybe do something that's a little outrageous or, you know, uh, a little extra fun, I guess, thinking of all the things that I missed when I was younger can kind of help me to feel less guilty about doing things like that because I feel like the younger me deserves that. And I think the last way that I've been able to kind of form this into any bit of a positive is in the time that I've been no contact with my parents, which at this point has been about six months, any time that I feel any bit of guilt for not talking to them or I question whether or not I should reach back out again or if I feel sad or any kind of negative emotion associated with the lack of contact, I think about things like this. My personal, emotional, social development was so hindered because of the number of experiences and interactions that I missed out on. These are the roots of some of the most complicated issues that I have faced in my life. And yet if I were to try to bring this to the attention of my parents and to talk to them about it, they would deny their part in any of it. They would deny their existence of any of those things. Just like I said earlier, they would tell me that I didn't want to stay at the sleepover without realizing that I didn't want to stay or I said that I didn't want to stay because I knew that they didn't want me to stay. And so dedicating time and energy to a relationship with people who deny their involvement, deny the existence of these incredibly sad and and difficult issues it's of no benefit to me and it only makes things harder it makes this whole journey of healing and self-discovery and and stepping into the role of just being in control of your whole life kind of unapologetically so that much more difficult and so 
thinking about these things makes me feel really grounded in my decision. I am justified in my stance to kind of keep the contact at a minimum or, or at nothing at all because it's my decision and I'm dealing with all of these incredibly difficult things and I have to do that in the way that is most beneficial to me because if they're not going to look out for me, then I have to look out for myself. And so as difficult as this can be, I think it's important to remember that your childhood, your teenage years, even into your early 20s maybe, that is a small chunk of your life. And just because you didn't get to experience a lot of the things that maybe you feel that your peers got to experience, it doesn't mean that you can't start now. It's never too late and and use this as kind of fuel, I guess, to live your life the way that you want to starting right now, to make every decision that you want to make and to seize every possible opportunity. And I think that's kind of the best advice that I've got. That's what I'm doing. And so I, I do have a few comments that I, I would love to dive into here. Uh, that's going to be over on my Patreon. So if you're interested in that or if you just want to support me overall, Patreon is a great way to do that. I've got that linked down below. And before I sign off for this episode, I just wanted to take a minute and thank every single person who has been watching my TikToks, who has been engaging with my videos. I just hit a million likes and 10,000 followers, which is an incredible accomplishment, uh, considering the fact that just a couple months ago, I posted my first TikTok about being raised by narcissistic parents, and I was a wreck in my truck, and I just needed to vent. I needed to talk. And so I decided to talk on TikTok. And since then, I've discovered such an incredible and supportive community of people who have gone through such similar experiences. And there are so many strange sort of nuances and emotions and behaviors that come along with being raised by narcissistic parents that can be so difficult to explain to people who haven't gone through anything like that. And to be able to talk to people who really see me and who really understand how I'm feeling and to hear so many people's stories has been really life-changing. And, and it's so wonderful to have a sense of community. And I think it, it really helps with, with the healing process to know that you're not alone. So that's everything that I've got for episode five. I will be back very soon with another episode. And again, if you'd like to see me dive into the comment section, head over to Patreon. Mm -hmm.